0: Hello there, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. On today's special episode, we're going to look at two entities, dyslexia and ADHD, and how these individuals overcome educational obstacles. First, we're going to hear from my friend Matthew Schneps, the brilliant astrophysicist at MIT, who credits his amazing abilities to see the stars with his dyslexia. We have Matt Schneps. He's an astrophysicist, a visiting scientist at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, a founding member of the Science Education Department at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, founded the Laboratory for Visual Learning to carry out research in cognitive psychology to investigate how individual differences in neurology, including those associated with dyslexia, ADHD, and autism spectrum disorders, affect how people learn science. He also, just as an extra value added himself, happens to be dyslexic. And so I'm honored to be talking today with Dr. Matthew Schneps. Matt, welcome. How are you? Good.
1: Thank you. I'm honored as well. And uh, just a a quick correction on on my very nice introduction you gave me. Um, It's not that I just happen to have dyslexia. It's because of my dyslexia that I've done these things. So it's a bit different.
0: I would like you to repeat what you just said and expound upon it. What I heard you say is the way my brain works is that Hacky, it's not just that I happen to be into this and happen to be dyslexic. I am into what I'm into precisely because I am dyslexic. Did I get that right?
1: You got it 100% correct
0: then tell us how it all began. This is fascinating. I may write a book about you.
1: <laughs> well, how it all began, I mean, that's a very long story. Um, how can we make it succinct? Um, l- let me think for a second. I, I mean, you know, at some level, I- I've ended up here because of accidents of career, right? I mean, that happens to everybody. You, you know, you you think you're going to do something in life, And, uh, you know, the ball bounces this way and that way, and before you know it, you're someplace different from where you thought you would be. And that's very much the case with me. However, what makes me a little bit different is that I was always obsessively interested in certain things, and I followed through on them. So, for example, when I was very young... I just loved astronomy. I mean, I really did. I I just thought everything astronomical was fascinating and very, very interesting and beautiful. And I kind of knew from the age of, uh, I don't know, seven, eight, whenever you're kind of conscious of these kinds of things, that I wanted to be an astronomer. And so I spent, you know, the early part of my career just trying to become an astronomer, but you know how the accidents of these uh, uh sport games go um uh you know my attempts to go this way and that didn't work because i couldn't do standardized tests uh you know i th- there were a lot of things i couldn't do uh, it was very disappointing to me and i and i i didn't get to where i wanted to go even though i was very good at the things that i was doing so i i i nevertheless kind of made it all the way up to MIT and got a phd in astrophysics Um, but once I was there, I realized there's a lot of stuff I just can't do. I can't read the papers that I have to read. Uh, it's really hard for me to go to meetings and sit in the meetings. Uh, there were a lot of things that just, you know, made it difficult for me to keep going as an astronomer. And so rather than feeling bad about myself, which is what, you know, often happens when you're sort of kicked into a corner and you don't know what to do, I started to think, well how, you know, what are the things that I'm good at, and how can I really maximize those things? And so I was very good at dealing with images. That's why I loved astronomy. Uh, I was very good at telling stories. Uh, I I decided I wanted to go into filmmaking. I I did that. Um, I started a group that uh, created educational television programs for uh, science learners. Uh, I then became very interested in how people learn, Uh, So I started looking at the neuroscience of those things and, uh, you know, on and on and on. And that's kind of how I ended up where I am. And it's all because I was very curious about how my own brain worked. And also I followed the things I was interested in and really tried to make the best use of the things that I was good at. I I, I I started ignoring what other people expected me to be good at, and I started focusing on the things that I'm good at. So that's a very long-winded answer to your short question.
0: Next, we're going to hear from Elizabeth Wilkinson from over there in England, or as she's better known across the pond, the dyslexic dyslexia consultant. Well,
2: my mom had always thought that I was, and when Why? I was... Why? A... Why did
0: she think you were dyslexic? Uh,
2: I would imagine she would say because of the difference between my academic attainments and my um, IQ, vocabulary, interests, etc. So in other words,
0: you were pretty smart, but you weren't doing good in school.
2: Yeah, I've got a mum with an IQ of 163, so I come from good stock. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I can't even
0: count that high. (laughs) Let's talk about your brain from the vantage point of your first level, dyslexia because you are the dyslexic dyslexia consultant.
2: I am, I do what I say on the tin as the um, the, the ad goes. Um, I just, I work with dyslexics and I, I train people about dyslexia and what I find is when I'm working with a dyslexic on a one-to-one or in a small group, if I when I tell them I'm dyslexic I can physically see them relax because they finally got somebody who will understand or at least knows where they're coming from. So, you know, they they get it. They get that I get it. And I I also understand that, as you say, everybody's different, so that always helps. And I like recycling ideas. You know, you you say to somebody, try this idea, but don't just think you've got to use that idea in itself. You can change it and adapt it to suit yourself.
0: So you, you were diagnosed, and then what did you do? Like, what tips can you give our audience? that how you overcame the challenges?
2: In all honesty I I did a course to find out about dyslexia because I thought my son was and from there everything made sense I knew the answers to questions I understood the topics I was getting good grades for my assignments because I understood the subject so I I personally had done a lot of research, I'd done a lot of reading around dyslexia, and I came across a book by Dr. Tilly Mortimer, who is my idol, I have to say, when it comes to dyslexia. And it was her first book about dyslexia and learning styles that I learned about the three core deficits of dyslexia. So I learned about short-term memory difficulties, automaticity difficulties, and phonological difficulties. And they made sense, and I understood about myself. So. For me, my advice to people is find out how something affects you and how that impacts on your everyday life.
0: Next, we're going to hear from Sue Khan, who's the mother of a young man with ADHD and dyslexia. So what did this mother do? She created new learning techniques. Watch. Sue so you've had a quite a history trying to help people with various disabilities, going Going back to Texas, why don't you tell us about your
3: career? Certainly. Uh, I became a teacher of, you know, just regular elementary school classrooms, and I taught a year after earning my master's degree from Boston University in education, where I had majored in reading, and then I decided to have a family. But my family turned out to be rather different from most people's families because one son had a severe dyslexia, another son had a very rare physical ailment which eventually took his life, and a third son had some mental health issues. So I became interested in my own self-interest of helping my children in learning everything I possibly could about how the brain learned and how I was going to solve the problems of my children and I succeeded best with my dyslexic child and I've made it a career and I've actually helped thousands of people. Now I'm trying to spread the knowledge with uh, books for parents and teachers so that others will know how to help a dyslexic child to read within one year. Tell us the name of the book. It's uh, Sue's Strategies, Best Reading Spelling Method. Ages six to 60. I am certified at all levels of instruction elementary, middle, and senior high school, but I've also worked for Mass Rehab Commission in Boston, so I've had experience with adults. And I believe the oldest person I've taught was 59 and he just celebrated his 60th birthday. If a person's dyslexia affects more than just being able to read the words, it affects the way he Uh, understand sentences. And usually the person needs some retraining in how to understand sentences the way uh, most people understand them. And then once that knowledge of grammar, which is what I teach in this book, is solidly implanted in the dyslexic person's uh, head, then he begins to understand language as most of us do. And his fluency and comprehension both go up as well as his writing skills improved dramatically because he's not afraid to write long sentences. He knows that whatever he's written is correct as long as he followed the rules in the book.
0: Could you elaborate on your view, your macro view of the brain and neurodiversity?
3: Yes. Um, Well, my scope has been much narrower than yours and I certainly admire you for all the work that you've done and I'm delighted to hear about your daughter, that's just awesome. Uh, My son basically suffered from the ADHD and the dyslexia. And I was lucky enough, eventually, once I got over the hurdle of, oh, my God, I'm going to put my son on meds, uh, to have a fabulous psychopharmacologist who understood my son so that his attention was there. And then the issue clearly was dyslexia. Now, Dr. Sally Shaywitz from Yale University Child Development Clinic has been taking FMRI uh, FMR um, pictures of dyslexic brains for approximately 30 years. So she can validate that the language cells for dyslexic people are tend to be in the right hemisphere and not all together. So that it's difficult for a dyslexic person to learn language when the left hemisphere is really geared for language acquisition and the right hemisphere isn't. And then the language cells have to communicate with each other, and there's a distance, so that slows down the speed. But Dr. Orton had published the multisensory Orton-Gillingham method of reading prior to Dr. Sally Shaywitz's brain research. And so she decided to give her um, patients—or clients, whatever one calls them a one year of reading intervention with synthetic phonics, which is basically what Dr. Orton suggested, and it's the method that I use, although I've updated it with lots of uh, memory tactics that we know about now that Dr. Orton didn't know about then. So the result of the uh, FMR follow-up studies was that the brain cells had migrated from the right hemisphere to the left hemisphere, and suddenly, the dyslexic people found that their language problems had um, become so much better. So what we're trying to do now with intervention—I'm working on advocacy in Massachusetts—is to encourage our legislature to pass uh, a couple of laws that would define dyslexia as a neurobiological disorder that affects language acquisition to ask them to screen for dyslexia because Dr. Nadine Gab at Children's Hospital in Boston has recently come up with a 20-minute screening test for five-year-olds that detects dyslexia with 92 percent accuracy. And then we want the schools to give early intervention with some evidence-based methods, like Dr. Orton's in mind, that are geared especially for dyslexic students, so that they, the children are all reading on grade level or above before they start third grade, which is reading to learn. And this is all very doable. Now, I cannot really teach everybody to read and write within one year. I usually keep students um, for two years, the first year to teach them the reading process and the second year to teach them the writing process. But we know that all of the synthetic phonetic programs succeed in making excellent readers out of the dyslexic children. So it's very important to us to um, go state by state and just change the laws and give our children an opportunity to learn. So my view of the brain is not as broad as yours. I mean, I also understand about different areas that affect learning, you know, the frontal lobes and the ADHD and the executive function. But my work has primarily been um, with the dyslexic uh, language acquisition problem, and it's in that way that I can help people the most.
0: Finally, we're going to hear from Sean Smith, who's the Canadian advocate, who himself overcame the challenges of undiagnosed ADHD to go on to help many.
4: Uh, I was undiagnosed with ADHD until age 30. And, you know, it took me four years to finish three years of high school. 32 attempts during 18 credits required to graduate, including failing grade 10 math four times. Trudging my way through uh, and then started taking medication when I was diagnosed at age 30. And uh, it gave my brain the jump start it needed. And it kind of took my brain from dial-up to fiber-op. And I went from the bottom of the class to the top Uh, and kind of battling my way through um, different social policies. I I was disabled, but not quite disabled enough. So I started challenging uh, social policy and uh, kind of just getting my bearings and and realizing that, you know, when people say the system's broken, it implies that it was intended to work in the first place, and the research that I've done uh, shows explicitly that it's not. And so I just kind of kept battling and was finally... uh, You know, I got into the Master's of Education and Counseling Psychology program at UNB. I was admitted on academic probation and graduated less than a year later at the top of my class.
0: You were a young, young little kid of 24 years old when you learned how to count, huh?
4: Yeah, like I I used to, um, you know, go around with pocket change and and I couldn't count it. You know, there'd be any type of stimuli. It could be lights or sound. And and that's part of being neurodiverse is that we feel and sense things more deeply than others. And so, you know... I kind of describe my life as living in a, in a haze. And so I would go to start to count the change and then there'd be some type of stimuli. and It was like somebody erased the process from my memory to the point I'd get so pissed off that I'd just put it back in my pocket and walk away. And uh, at the ripe age of 24, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now now wife, we decided to move to Lake Tahoe of all places. And I ended up getting a job as a, a blackjack dealer that I did not want. Uh, But because there are so many people, you know, immigrants that migrate there every summer to to account for the tourist season, you know, I was the English-speaking Canuck. Uh, So they they really were, were, you know, hounding me to do it. And so thankful that I did because I had something tactile to manipulate with my hands. Then I could do it in my head. But I didn't have a framework to conceptualize what people were asking me to count. And so once I had that, I was able to do math in my head really, really quickly. But, you know... When somebody comes into my office and and they disclose, you know, whether it's ADHD, um, Asperger's, autism spectrum disorder, even fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, you know, one of the things that I I say to them is, welcome to the world of the uniquely gifted. And I believe it because I see it in myself and the work that I'm doing with these individuals and the success that we're having.
0: Welcome to the world of the uniquely gifted. Yes. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.